Welcome to Focus on Success with Fazia Costi. Our program is designed to help you with executive function challenges. Our guest experts offer perspective, experience, and ideas to improve different aspects of your life. Now, here is your host, Fazia Costi. Hi, welcome to the show. This morning, we have a wonderful guest, Dr. Greg Hammer. He is the author of Gain Without Pain, the Happiness Handbook for the Healthcare Professionals. So welcome to the show, Dr. Hammer. Thank you. Nice to be with you, Fauza. Yeah. So uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. Uh, help our listeners better understand where you come from. Can you tell us a little bit about your background, your education, maybe your experience and what you do now? Sure. Well, literally, I'm from the Chicago area. Uh, had a wonderful upbringing and uh, eventually uh, decided to go to medical school and then uh, did a residency in pediatrics, another residency in anesthesiology, fellowship training in pediatric anesthesiology and intensive care medicine. And I've been practicing those specialties as well as doing research ever since. I'm at uh, Stanford University Medical School and uh, work at the Packard Children's Hospital at Stanford. And I've had a wonderful career. I've savored every moment of it. I, I think it's a privilege to take care of young people and their families, both who are critically ill and uh, those kids having surgery, particularly cardiac surgery and related procedures. And uh, it's part of my gratitude meditation every day to uh, really embrace and be thankful for the privilege of helping other people. Uh, I have been a fitness enthusiast all my life, both physical fitness and uh, uh, spiritual fitness. Physical fitness, I think, really relies on uh, sleep, exercise, and nutrition. My undergraduate degree is in nutritional science. I really focused on that in my critical care practice. I think it's been somewhat neglected. And uh, I've been involved in, in sports and, and physical fitness also my whole life. And uh, as far as spiritual fitness, I uh, was kind of seeking my whole life. And then maybe about 10 or 12 years ago, I began to realize that there's nothing for which to look. It's already there. So I, I felt like someone who was constantly looking all around me and, and doing a 180 and seeing if it was behind me or above me or below me. <laughs> and then I realized, actually, uh, it's just within. And I think that... Uh, Peace and happiness, which is the only, the only things that all 7 billion of us want, uh, are within us. And, and so I began to uh, kind of pursue a more inward path and have been a student of Advaita or non-duality for the last decade. I uh, met a wonderful teacher named Rupert Spira, who's become a friend and continues to be a mentor in Advaita teaching. And so this all sort of coalesced uh, to uh, a time maybe about five or six years ago when Stanford formed a WellMD center, largely to address the problem of burnout among physicians. And I've been a part of that uh, ever since and uh, began speaking more and more about wellness. And, and then I had some sabbatical time, just part of, part of our program, if you will, as faculty at Stanford. And uh, it just became clear to me that the best way to spread the message was to write a book. So I did. And so that book uh, has the title that you mentioned. And I plan on doing a few more Gain Without Pain books. The GAIN is uh, in capital letters, and that's an acronym for what I consider to be the four pillars of spiritual wellness. And they are gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment. So now I'm working on a book entitled Gain Without Pain, The Happiness Handbook for Teenagers, along with a uh, colleague who was at Stanford and is now down at San Diego. So, uh, you know, that's sort of it in a nutshell. I, I do research in the area of uh, what I call developmental pharmacology, that is uh, drug metabolism and drug effects in newborns, toddlers, school-aged children, adolescents, and how things evolve over time and uh, continue to practice pediatric intensive care and pediatric anesthesia at Stanford. Uh, as we discussed for uh, 
briefly before we went on the air. I have a beautiful home sure. on Stanford campus. Uh, I consider it to be a very utopian lifestyle. I ride my bike to work. I have wonderful, interesting intellectual neighbors, all of whom are Stanford faculty as well. So life is good. Life is precious. Life is fleeting. And, uh, you know, let's enjoy every moment of it. I would agree with you on that. I, I love the perspective that you come with. You know, it, it's something that I think everyone should be doing. Uh, gratitude is a big part of my day. I, I also meditate every day and I'm very grateful for the things that are in my life. And I teach it to my clients as an executive function coach. I think it's really important that everyone come from a perspective of gratitude. It helps reduce anxiety. It helps you appreciate things more. So I really appreciate the perspective that you're coming from and that you're teaching. It's, it's really, um, I think it's, it's really important that, that people appreciate what they have because you're right, life is fleeting. It, it goes by way too fast. It so does. what are some, yeah, so you've told us quite a bit about the things that you're grateful for and, and appreciate in life. Um, can you give us some examples of gratitude practices that maybe individuals can put into place in their everyday lives? What, what are some things that the average person can do? I know most of your book is about healthcare professionals, but can this transfer to everyday life? Can this transfer to the stay-at-home mom? Absolutely. I think that, you know, the realities of life are universal. So these are elements that we all share, regardless of our profession. In the book, I uh, describe what can be as little as three minutes of a contemplative meditation that I do every morning and that I, I teach. And uh, essentially, it involves waking up in the morning and perhaps doing our morning hygiene, opening the blinds, finding a comfortable place to sit, and beginning to focus on the breath. I think that's the, the core of many meditation techniques. And as we do get in sync with our breath, we just can first begin to be grateful for the magical functioning of our human body, the fact that air is entering through our nose and filling our chest and expanding our bodies and then being released without any effort at all. And this is sort of something we don't need to think about, but we can also always focus on. It's always available to us, our breath. And for me, then, as I begin my game meditation, uh, as we discussed, gratitude is first and foremost, and that's the G in game. Uh, personally, the first thing I, I contemplate is my gratitude for being alive today, for having this day. And I, like many others, have had uh, uh, a medical diagnosis. Uh, I'm a cancer survivor, so uh, that has given me a perspective that every day is just really precious. And that you don't have to have had cancer for that, but uh, I think that's how my day begins with this contemplation of how fortunate I am to be alive today, to be able to do all the things that are part of my day. And I then transition to gratitude for people that I love, for having them in my life, for the love that we share and the energy involved in that love. And then I make transition to gratitude for my work because I feel very privileged to be able to do what I do. And I think no matter what our profession, we can be grateful for the positive elements in our work if we're employed. Uh, or if we're not employed and, and we're taking care of children or doing a number of other things, the magical elements of those activities. And so there, there's so much for which to be grateful for the present moment, for the breath, for our ability to interact with other people, the love we share, the service that we provide. You know, there are two kinds of happiness. There's hedonic happiness and eudaimonic happiness. Hedonic happiness, and there's nothing wrong with being uh, hedonistic, I think that we're all, in the true sense of the word, hedonistic at times. That just simply means that we embrace those pleasures that uh, may involve, for example, uh, graduating from college or graduate school or 
enjoying a new automobile, uh, enjoying a great meal. But these are sensations of happiness that come and go. Uh, whereas eudaimonic happiness comes primarily from serving, from helping others. Uh, and whatever that means for each individual, eudaimonic happiness is enduring. And so back to gratitude, uh, I'm grateful for the ability to serve. As I said, I think it's a privilege to be a physician, to care for others, to be able to make a small difference in other people's lives. And I think that translates to what we all do in our daily life. Um, and that is having the privilege to help other people. So I think those are some examples of gratitude. And the wonderful thing about gain in its simplicity and just these four elements, I know that when I was in at university, I studied Buddhism and I always had a hard time remembering the, the 12 ways of this and the 10 paths to that. Four elements, I think, are something we can all remember. And GAIN, I think, represents an acronym of, of four pillars of, of happiness. Um, so the, the point is that with this GAIN practice, you start with a three or five minute meditation in the morning, but that gets us on our way to embracing these principles throughout the day. So whether we're walking down the hall in the hospital or walking outside, uh, taking our dog for a walk or sitting at a, a dinner table with our family, uh, we get in the mindset of gratitude when we start our day with the contemplation of that for which we're grateful. And this, like the breath, is always accessible to us any time of day, wherever we are. Absolutely. And I, I like, I, I really like the way you're, you're thinking because I think gratitude is such an important part of life. I practice meditation myself. And for me, meditation is about the brain waves, getting into that really nice, relaxed state and, and just being in the now, being mindful of my daily activities, being mindful of how I treat others, being mindful of how I do my work. And so I, I really like how you're moving forward in your life, I think a life filled with gratitude is a happy life. And so I really like um, the process. How did you come up with your idea? How did you come up with this book? Well, again, the book, uh, the impetus for it started with my involvement in the WellMD program. Um, and it, that, again, was in response to the, the increasing and very high incidence of physician burnout. And that uh, the holes in the Swiss cheese just sort of lined up. I was being asked to speak on the topic of burnout and wellness for physicians uh, more and more frequently around the U.S. and around the world. And then I had some sabbatical time. And uh, I have a lab at uh, Stanford, and I, I didn't want to actually go anywhere else. I, I love where I live and felt that I, I would be uh, best served by staying in my home and in the neighborhood during my sabbatical and it just was an opportunity. Uh, it just dawned on me the best way to get this message out other than speaking about it would be to write the book. And I had the time and uh, I had the opportunity and I had the motivation. And so uh, sounds like we're solving a murder mystery, but uh, in <laughs> fact, uh, those elements just sort of coalesced at the right time. And, and it seemed like uh a very positive thing to do. And in fact, it was, and it has been. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase something I, I, I read many years ago. It's like when you're in line with your purpose, doors open. It sounds like you're in line with your purpose and things just kind of fall in line for you so that you can fulfill that purpose. That's a really good place to be in life. Yes, I agree with you. And I, I think we can all be in that place in life. We just need to let go of our obsessive thoughts of the past and the future and recognize that we have a negativity bias. We tend to remember the negative things and forget about the positive things. And if we recognize that we have this negativity bias and we recognize that we have uh, a maladaptive obsession with ruminating over the past and wondering about the future in ways that don't, don't do us any good, 
the recognition of those human tendencies can lead to our ability to kind of take them on and realize that uh, it's not necessary to have thought processes that, that run along these lines. And we can let go of those thought processes and, and, and rewire the way we think. And that's the beauty of the human mind is that it remains malleable throughout our lives that we have this uh, attribute called neuroplasticity. That is, if we recognize that our thought processes are maladaptive, we can actually do something about it by retraining our minds or rewiring our minds to be more present and be more positive. Absolutely. And that, that's what I spend most of my day doing is helping people just change those habits, become more positive, live in, in the moment, feel that gratitude. So I, I really appreciate the perspective you come from. Um, how has COVID impacted um, the way you do your work? How has COVID impacted gratitude for the people that you see around you? Do you think that people are more grateful? They're more in the moment now because they've had to deal with COVID and they could see their life in a more positive way now, or do you think it's impacted people in a negative way? I think it's a very individual consideration. I think that um, some people have recognized the preciousness of life even more so because of the pandemic. Um, some people are so grateful for the rapid development of the vaccine. Um, people are more aware of their interactions and relationships with others. Um, you know, many of us reached out to people we may not have been in touch with in some time, uh, albeit virtually. So there's a lot for which to be grateful that relates to the pandemic for many of us. On the other hand, it can also be an opportunity for triggering negative thoughts. And I think that uh, many of us are kind of stuck in a negativistic way of thinking and, and the pandemic may well have served up uh, uh, ample opportunities for negative ways of thought as well. So I, I think it kind of runs both ways and uh, hard to kind of paint everybody's mindset with one uh, brush, if you will. Yeah, interesting. I, I've actually, my perspective from my clients, um, I've seen more crisis situations in the past two years than I have seen in probably 25 years combined. <laughs> yes. I've seen more people in crisis situations now than I've ever seen. And, and so for me, it has become even more important to share with clients how to be in the moment, how to be mindful, how to be grateful, how to really embrace the moment because we don't know how things are going to move forward. We don't know what tomorrow is going to look like. Everything is, is moving. So I, I really appreciate the, 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 the perspective of gratitude, the perspective of, of mindfulness. Um, so we talked a little bit about um, how your book can help uh, non-health professionals. And you're talking about writing a book about teenagers. How will this book differ from the professional, the one focused on professionals? The core principles remain the same. As I said, I think they're universal, the principles of gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment. So really what I'm trying to do is uh, put those principles in the context of the teenage years. And, you know, the, the, the first book, on uh, which was written for healthcare professionals, although I think it's applicable to all of us, uh, addressed the stresses to some degree that are specific to those in healthcare. Uh, the book for teens, which may well be a book really for their parents and teachers. I'm not sure how many teens are reading books other than their assignments in school these <laughs> days, but, um, you know, focusing on the challenges that teens face and pointing to some avenues that may uh, improve their ability to be present. And, uh, you know, the same game principles that apply to healthcare professionals certainly apply to teenagers uh, as well as everyone else. So the focus is for teens, around teens, around the unique issues that they face. Um, to some extent, the way their minds work, 
uh, the context socially in which they find themselves and applying the same four principles really to, uh, to their mindset and, and hopefully promote uh, presence practice or mindfulness uh, for that population. So will this book help students maybe deal with some of the awkwardness of their social situations, things like that? Is that what you're um, planning on talking about? Yes, among other things. And, and for example, you know, as I said, I think we all have a negativity bias. Um, I think the two main barriers to happiness are our negativity bias. That is, we tend to embrace and, and hold on to negative experiences and forget the positive experiences that fill our lives. And the other uh, tendency that interferes with our happiness is our obsession with the past and future. So I consider adaptive versus maladaptive ways of thinking about the past and future. And for example, it's adaptive to think of the mistakes we've made in the, to the degree that we are learning from those mistakes and, and trying not to repeat them. It's adaptive to embrace the wonderful memories that we have with loved ones, uh, family members. And to those degree, uh, contemplating the past is adaptive. But beyond that, it's mostly maladaptive. We tend to, again, because of our negativity bias, we tend to remember all the negative things and this kind of fills us with shame and regret and embarrassment. And the same or goes guilt. for the way, pardon me? Or guilt. Yes, exactly. I see a lot of guilt, yeah. And the same uh, applies to our contemplation of the future. It's, it's great to plan for the future, to put bread on the table, so to speak. Uh, it's great to look forward to wonderful times ahead. But beyond that, contemplation of the future often brings fear and anxiety. And so these contemplations of the past and future that are maladaptive uh, are certainly pitfalls for teenagers. You know, teens, I think, especially ruminate over the past and they're embarrassed about things they may have done or said. Uh, they compare themselves to others and uh, usually because of their negativity bias, unfavorably, the other guy is uh, better looking, taller, stronger, better athlete, uh, you know, the other girl is better looking also, et cetera, more popular, smarter. Um, and the it same thing with the future, that teens really tend to have a lot of fear and anxiety about the future because uh, during sure. that phase of life, it's so uncertain. And, and so I'm hoping that the game principles can be helpful to teenagers who are uh, negativistic in their way of thinking and, and overly obsessed with uh, thoughts of the past and the future. Yeah, I would like to think that those are things that only teenagers deal with, but I do think that a lot of adults deal with those same issues. Absolutely. At least that's, that's something I see a lot of. And so um, I would really like to be able to help them out a little bit as well. So I'm glad to see that your book can help everyone across the board. That's, that's really awesome. Uh, we have a few minutes left before our break. So would you like to give our audience uh, a way to contact you? Is there a web? I know you have a website, uh, greghammermd.com, but is there another way that people can connect with you? Would you like, is there a phone number, an email? If, I think the information on the greghammermd.com website is, is that's the best enough. way to, uh, to, to reach out. Perfect. Um, so yeah, I would, I would invite anyone to connect through that website. Now, can uh, people purchase your book on that website as well? There's a link to Amazon where the book is for sale. And uh, yeah, so either that or one can go to Amazon and uh, put Gain Without Pain and Hammer in the search window uh, and, and should be guided to the book there as well on Amazon. Perfect. And how much is your book selling for? Oh, gosh, that's a good question. <laughs> I've sort of forgotten. Um, it's, I priced it to be, uh, quite affordable and reasonable. I think it's, uh, you know, $15 or something in that range. And then the, uh, there is, um, an electronic option that is just a few dollars. Perfect. So if you're looking for ways to, um, incorporate gratitude into your life, 
uh, p- please feel free to go to greghammermd.com and look at his uh, website. And if you're interested in buying his book, feel free to go to Amazon. Look for Gain Without Pain, the Happiness Handbook for Healthcare Professionals. If you'd like to contact me, my website is executivefunctioncoachaz.com. You can also call me directly for a free consultation at 480-648-1122. And we will be back after these messages and we will continue talking with Dr. Greg Hammer from Stanford University. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you are struggling with organization, time management, or other executive functions, Fazia Costi is ready to put you on the path to success. Visit executivefunctioncoachaz.com. Fazia works with in-person clients at her Phoenix, Arizona office or with clients anywhere across the country remotely. Mention that you heard this ad from the Focus on Success radio show and receive a free initial consultation with Fazia, plus $50 off an intake evaluation, a $300 value. Visit executivefunctioncoachaz.com or call 480-648-1122. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Focus on Success. To reach Fazia Costi or her guest on the live show, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Fazia at Executive Function Coach AZ.com. Now, back to Focus on Success. Hi, welcome back. Uh, I'm Fazia Costi. I'm your host. And today we are talking to Dr. Greg Hammer. He has written a book called Gain Without Pain, the Happiness Handbook for Healthcare Professionals. Welcome back to the show, Dr. Hammer. Great to be with you, Fazia. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to learn more about the uh, gain elements. Can we talk a little bit more about what the gain elements are in your book and um, maybe give a little bit more in-depth description of how people can use those, uh, those elements? Sure. Well, we talked about gratitude. Absolutely. The next uh, element of gain is acceptance. And I think it's important to recognize that Life is full of pain and suffering as much as it is uh, happiness and joy. And rather than resist or try not to think about things that are painful, uh, both with, within our own being and also uh, around the world, and I think not only at this present moment, but throughout time, uh, there's sort of a background resonance of pain and suffering Uh, For example, I think that the way humans have treated humans uh, throughout history, uh, enslavement of others, for example, I think there's a resonance that we all still feel from from the way we've treated each other in the past and the pain and suffering that we've caused and propagated. Uh, And certainly life is challenging and, uh, you know, many of us have thoughts of depression and anxiety and fear. We talked about the way our minds work, really focusing on the past and shame and regret and the future in ways that accentuate fear and anxiety. So I I thought about, well, I'm going to take care of very critically ill children. I'm going to be dealing with a lot of pain and suffering. And how am I going to get through that? So uh, many people in in my areas of uh, profession talk about not getting too close to your patients because it will be too excruciating when they have bad outcomes. Uh, I actually don't subscribe to that uh, approach. My approach is really to open my heart to those individuals and families and uh, let the pain and suffering resonate. And so acceptance really means letting go of our resistance to pain and suffering and During our game meditation, I talk about 
actually envisioning as we breathe with our eyes closed, focused on our breath, and then bring our attention to that which is painful and causes us to suffer. And let that resonate, let those experiences, those feelings resonate, and then actually envision our chest opening and our heart opening and bringing those elements closer and closer until we merge with them, until there's really no separation from what we consider to be I and those experiences that relate to pain and suffering. So for example, uh, I lost my dear son at the age of 29, uh, four years ago, uh, the day after tomorrow, actually. And of course, thank you. Of course, it's a, you know, it's hard to imagine anything more painful than that. Um, and I have a choice. I can either try not to think about it or I can, for example, during my morning game meditation, envision opening my heart and letting those feelings of pain in, bringing them closer and closer until there's really no separation until I've merged with that experience and those feelings. And what, happens when we do this is, first of all, we realize that the experience is not quite as bad as we might have thought when we were pushing it away and really trying not to think about it. And also with that comes the recognition that this is just part of life. And we'll talk about non-judgment, but life is not to be judged as good or bad. Life is just the way it is. The world is just the way it is. We are just the way we are. And so by embracing the pain and suffering as we embrace the joy and happiness, uh, we can find greater peace. And when we ask ourselves the question, can I live with this pain forever? The answer becomes yes. And uh, that's really something that uh, my teacher, Rupert Spira, talks about exactly in, in those words. Can I live with this pain forever? And when the answer is yes, when we've truly merged with it, and then we're moving in the right direction. And I have a formula in the book, Fazia, which uh, is that uh, expresses that uh, suffering equals pain times resistance. Suffering equals pain times resistance. The pain is what it is. It's the death of a loved one. It's an illness. It's uh, reading about the disaster in, in South Florida with regard to the building collapsing and, and how many people are uh missing and lost uh, it's you know the pain is uh wars around the world and genocide and so on and if we resist thinking about and and we resist embracing this pain our suffering is magnitude uh, magnified suffering equals pain times resistance on the other hand acceptance can be considered the opposite of resistance so if we lower our resistance and accept these painful experiences and sensations, our suffering is diminished. So sure. this is, I think, where the A in game of, of acceptance, why is it one of the four pillars of happiness? I think it's necessary not just to pretend that life is a bowl of cherries and, and do sort of what people have called a spiritual bypass and just try to jump to a place of happiness. I think we really need to acknowledge the pain and suffering in life and sit with it and, and know that we all share this. Uh, we're not alone in our pain and suffering. This is a universal phenomenon that is really part of a core uh, experience of, of being a human being. Absolutely. What does the I stand for? The I is intention and one of my heroes, John Kabat-Zinn, who was perhaps the, the grandfather of mindfulness, defined mindfulness, and I'm paraphrasing, as an awareness of the present moment on purpose without judgment. On purpose means that we're responsible for our thoughts. We are responsible for the workings of our mind. And rather than just being led around and reacting to things happening around us and our own sensations, we can actually be in charge of those sensations and thoughts and, and experiences. So let's acknowledge that we do have the power of intention 
and we can rewire our brains. We talk about this negativity bias and this obsession with the past and the future in ways that are maladaptive. We can actually, through our intention, rewire the way we think toward a more positive and present-oriented way of being. And a great example of that, Fazia, is a program at Duke called Three Good Things. Essentially, what the investigators have done is to ask the participants to simply contemplate, possibly write down if they're so inclined, three good things that happen to them during the day as they get ready to go to sleep at night. Because normally we take stock of our day as we prepare to go to sleep and we typically focus on things that didn't go well during the day. But if we use our intention and we actually embrace three positive things that happen during the day, we actually can become happier, we sleep better, and we're more peaceful. And they've shown this in tens of thousands of participants. So just an intentional practice that takes no time at all that we can do when we're, say, turning the bed down uh, to get ready to go to bed. We simply think of three good things that happened during the day. So for me tonight, meeting you, Fazia, and, and being on your program will be one good thing, this connection that we've had. Um, Thank you. And, uh, you know, there are many other good things that await today for me. So simply by thinking of three or more of them, Tonight, before I go to sleep, what the investigators at Duke have shown that uh, my sleep will be better and I will be a little bit happier. And when you do this three good things practice over weeks, months, and longer, you can look back and, and realize, yeah, you know, I am happier. I am more positive. Just by doing that practice, it's, it's guided me toward a more positive way of thinking and a more present-oriented way of thinking. So that's the I in intention. I think it's a, it's a requisite ingredient to happiness. I, I love it. I love it. Um, in fact, that is something I have uh, a few of my clients actually, I have them practice that, but I actually have them write things down. I have them write these in a journal before they go to bed so that they can go back and reflect on all the good things when they have a negative moment. Yeah, so that's I, great. I really, yeah, I love it. Um, it actually validates that I'm doing something good. So there, you know, that, that feels good on my end too. It's like, Oh, I'm asking my clients to do something really good for themselves. Yes, um, there you go. You, that's, that's in the eudaimonic <laughs> happiness realm. You're, you're serving. Yeah. Others. It, yeah. It, it does make people feel good when, when they know their work is helping others. It's, it's a good feeling. Um, what about the N? What does that stand for? The N in game is for non-judgment and, you know that we are constantly judging things around us. We're labeling things as good or bad or too tall or too short or too loud or uh, not loud enough. Um, we judge the world in this way. The world is evil or the world is bad or there's a lot of bad in the world. And we judge other people in particular. This is just part of our human nature. So our minds are always kind of judging, uh, you know, comparing. This person is taller than I am. That person is smarter than I am. I'm uh, better at, at, you know, jogging or what have you than this other person. And this is really kind of exhausting and it's really wasted mindful energy. And in fact, it's, it's more than that. It actually has a deleterious effect on us. And if we can actually just begin to see the world exactly as it is. The world is not good. The world is not bad. Imagine uh, being in space, as I guess uh, uh, certain people who have a lot of money who developed uh, programs uh, to travel outside of the Earth's immediate atmosphere. Uh, imagine being in space and looking at the globe, looking at the Earth as this beautiful orb. It's not bad. It's not good. It's just the earth. And we don't have to judge it to appreciate it. We can look at it exactly the way it is. And if we practice this non-judgment, we can eventually do what is most difficult, and that is drop self-judgment. We're constantly judging ourselves. And this, again, it's our negativity bias 
And it's our obsession with the past. We're, we're remembering things we did or we said or we didn't do or say. And we're castigating ourselves. We're judging ourselves harshly. And probably the more difficult aspect of non-judgment is dropping the self-judgment. But again, you know, we can rewire the way we think. We can, through our intention and practice, and again, baby steps, just small increments every day. We just do this brief practice every day. We do our gain meditation. Everybody's got three minutes in the morning. And then we go out in the world and we practice these elements. So, for example, non-judgment. I am uh, tell the story in the book. I'm riding my bike to work, which I'm very grateful that I have the proximity to where I work. Uh, I'm riding my bike to work and I'm, and I'm riding down this narrow lane that's covered by this beautiful canopy of trees and the sunlight is filtering down through the trees and it's just beautiful. And as I'm pedaling along, I come across a person who's walking in the path and they're walking in the same direction that I'm, I'm riding my bike. And as I get closer, I see, well, they're right in the middle of the path. And gee, that's kind of inconsiderate. It's going to be difficult for me to get around them. As I get a little closer, I see that they have buds in their ears. And then I see that they're looking at their screen. And I'm forming judgments about that too. I'm, I'm judging, why are they looking at their screen when they're surrounded by this beautiful canopy of the treetops and, and beautiful light this morning and, and, and the sound of their footfall? And why do they have buds in their ears and why are they looking? So I'm making these judgments of this other person and I realize I'm doing that. And I laugh to myself. And I remind myself, I pledged to be, let's say, non-judgmental of the first person that started to annoy me or that I started to judge today. Whether it's riding my bike or for others, whether it's driving to work and perhaps someone driving ahead of them changes into their lane without using their turn signal and cuts them off a bit. All these judgmental thoughts that arise in response to that experience, we don't have to follow through with those judgments. So we can be reminded to drop those judgments. So back to my bike ride on the path, I laugh at myself for beginning to judge this person. And I get a little uh, positive sensation out of that recognition. As I pass the person on the path, I smile as I look at them and they look up at me and smile. And lo and behold, it was a pleasant experience. So what started out as kind of a negative, judgmental experience, some hostility and, and harsh judgment of this other person, has turned into a pleasant little interaction. I've gotten a bit of uh, a laugh myself that I started to form these judgments. And I realized this is just a, a lovely person who's on their morning walk, wherever they're going. And if they're enjoying listening to music while they do that, so be it. So this is just an example of one, one simple judgment that we make, uh, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of times a day that we don't have to embrace. We can simply recognize that we're doing this and, and then just drop the judgment and uh, get a little dopamine hit by doing that. Get a little hit of happiness. Absolutely. Absolutely. There we go on our day. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny how we do judge based on our own biases, on our own preferences. You are driving or you're riding your bike down this road, assuming since you're enjoying it so much that everyone would enjoy exactly what you're enjoying. But the gentleman that's walking is listening to music because in his ideal morning, music should be played while he walks down this beautiful road. So we all have our preferences, and I think it's important that we all acknowledge that even though we there's certain things that we all like, we, we have our, our individual preferences, and there's really no need to judge someone else's preferences. That's exactly uh, right. And you know, um, uh, a teacher of Advaita that I admire very much, uh, whose name is Francis Lucille, reminded me uh, and others that we can look at the world with benevolent indifference. And I love that phrase because being indifferent, we should not judge that word or, or behavior that we consider indifferent. It just means being non-judgmental, but with a slight overlay of benevolence. 
So we see the world as it is. We see others the way they are. We begin to see ourselves the way we are with a little bit of a smile, with a little bit of benevolence. And yet we're indifferent to uh, any judgments of good or bad. And I, I think that's something we can all learn from. Absolutely. And I think the more aware people become, and, and I do think society is becoming much more aware of feeling gratitude, of feeling you know, respect for others and having that non-judgmental viewpoint. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I do think that the world is starting to become more aware. And I think this is, you know, thanks to people like you who, who write these books and, and share their ideas and, and, and tell people that it's, it's okay not to be judged and it's okay not to be judgmental of others and, and that your life could actually be better because of it. And it's okay to be generous with your time. It's okay to be, you know, kind to others and your life will actually become better because of it. So I, I love the perspective in which you, um, you share your, your ideas. This is, this is really nice. Um, one of the last things that I'd like to talk about is you do have a background in nutrition. Um, how does nutrition play a part in gratitude, in mindfulness? Can you talk a little bit about that? I would say that broadly spoken, um, we need to take care of our physical selves if we're going to be at rest and find peace in life. So I think the tripod of our uh, physical wellness consists of sleep, exercise, and nutrition. So I think if we're missing or, or deficient in any of these areas, it's going to be hard to be grateful and, and find peace. So for example, you know, during the pandemic, uh, it's induced a, a process of thinking excessively about the future because, uh, as Yogi Berra said, the future is hard to predict. But especially in the pandemic context, what's going to happen? Is this going to continue on for years? Am I going to lose my job? So it's, it's pretty easy to have a lot of fear and anxiety generated uh, over what the future holds, especially during particularly trying times. Um, that fear and anxiety erode our ability to sleep peacefully. So one, one sign of anxiety that many people have had is poor sleep. And this is kind of universal, at least very prevalent in the first world, that we have difficulties with sleep. And if we don't have adequate sleep and, and adequate quality as well as duration for our body's needs, we're fatigued. And so the next day we wake up, we're tired. Uh, we tend to reach for foods that are sugary, highly processed, so-called comfort foods that give us a little bit of a burst of energy. Uh, and then we crash from that and then pick up another bit of sweet uh, processed food, etc. So the sleep that we lack actually uh, has a detrimental effect on our nutrition, on our diet. And similarly with our exercise, um, when we're tired, we're often, we tell ourselves we're too fatigued to exercise. So uh, you can see how these three elements are so interrelated with regard to our physical well-being, our sleep, our Absolutely. exercise, and our diet or nutrition. So I think when these are eroded, we're distracted more by the so-called unwellness of our bodies. And then it's hard to be grateful. We're feeling sorry for ourselves. We're focusing on the negative aspects of our physical being. And so again, this, this will kind of undermine our ability to be present and to be happy. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you completely. I think it's really important to take care of your life completely, not just one aspect of your life, because we have to take care of our bodies, our minds, you know, our nutrition is really important. Our sleep is really important. Everything that you've talked about has to play together. And, and I really appreciate that you're, you're talking about that today. Um, is there any last, um, we have a couple minutes left. Is there anything that you'd like to talk about that we haven't brought up already? I would just like to emphasize, Fazia, that we learn by repetition and we learn best, I think, when we just take baby steps. So with the game practice, for example, you know, I would recommend that 
if people are so inclined that they have this practice every day. That I made it a, as little as a three-minute contemplative meditation in the morning uh, because everybody has three minutes. Uh, we can all go to bed three minutes earlier or uh, probably won't miss the three minutes of, of sleep if we don't. Um, so a daily practice and, uh, you know, whether that's the game meditation, whether it's thinking of and writing down three good things at the end of the day, uh, have a daily practice focused on these important elements of gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment in whatever way uh, makes the most sense to you. And recognize that we learn in baby steps, that there's no failure. Uh, any effort, any time committed to these essential ingredients for happiness is a good thing. And if we don't flog ourselves for falling short and, and fall prey to that negativism that, that we're so inclined to have, uh, and just have a daily practice. Um, we'll notice in, in months from now that uh, we've really come a distance, that we're actually happier people, that we're sleeping better, that we're in better physical condition, that our dietary habits have improved, that we're more grateful, accepting, purposeful, and non-judgmental. And so just remember baby steps, but a daily practice or manifestation and uh, this will get us all going in the right direction. I agree with you. In fact, I have uh, this quote that sits behind me on my desk. I had to grab it because it's actually a quote by Aristotle. And it says, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, then, is not an act, but a habit. So Beautiful. You are, you, you, are, you, you are one of the great minds then because you were right there with Aristotle. So <laughs> thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciated your time, your expertise, and uh, your kindness and, and sharing all this wonderful information with our listeners. Um, I thank you once again for being on the show. And if you'd like to get in touch with Dr. Greg Hammer, uh, please go to greghammermd.com. If you'd like to get in touch with me, please go to executivefunctioncoachaz.com. You can also call me for a free consultation at 480-648-1122. Look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you for tuning in to Focus on Success. Please join your host, Fazia Costi, for another program next Wednesday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Until we talk again, have a great week. Thank you.